talk about their experience of starting purpose-driven organizations. And we talk about the, the mindset, we talk about um, internal awareness, and then we talk about actionable tactics. Today, I'm really excited to have my friend Will Katie with us. He is currently the head of brand strategy at Reddit. And I'm really excited to have him on today for two reasons. One, he is starting a heel movement. We'll get into more of that in a bit, but he is also the, the head of brand strategy for Reddit. As you know, one of the biggest communities on the internet. Welcome to the show, Will. Thank you so much for being here. Let's talk about community for a moment, because right now we're in social distancing, we're in physical distancing, we're in quarantine mode. One of the things that we hear or we see a lot is on social media. Maybe people are a little bit more uh, vocal about their, their loneliness, their emotions, what they're dealing with on the emotional roller coaster, right? So I hope that trend continues. But secondarily, the secondary effect of this is predictably more and more people will get depressed if they're not in community, if they're not in communication with others. So I'd love to hear your point of view on this, the importance of actually having community during this time. I was running out of time to check in with my friends and my family the way that, that those real relationships really merit and deserve. But in the last three weeks, there's been, you know, video hangouts with all of them, all of them. And I'm here in Los Angeles, they're in Boston, they're in upstate New York, Chicago, San Francisco, Seattle, Denver, Texas, all these different places. And so the invitation to stay connected has been, has been really, really strong. So that's actually filled me up quite a bit. And I also have realized some of the habits that I had beforehand that would really shield myself from connection. I would I really withdraw a lot of social situations and, and not really engage. It's very easy to maybe pull out your phone, for example, and just kind of not really be present in a group when you're out together. It's really not something that you can do in a video hangout with, with that same size of, you know, a group of people, four to five people. I mean, you're very, very tuned in with each other. And so it's helped me break through some barriers on the ways in which I've guarded myself from intimacy in the past. So there's been some really positive things that have happened, at least in my experience, in terms of my, my mental health and my social health and my relationship with community. And I would say that for anybody that is not having an experience like that, there's such a wealth of opportunity to find invitations into communities that you maybe haven't been a part of beforehand, all across social media, all across online. I think just a little, a little bit of effort up front to, to seek a community that can be your weekly or daily, bi-weekly, monthly check-in is probably going to yield more positive results than you can even expect because you're going to have some people that are going to start caring for you that you're going to be connected with that weren't there beforehand. And that's a really, really beautiful opportunity that this time gives us to, to reach out. Even if we can't be physically present, we can be digitally connected. And that is worth something. It's not worth nothing. Yeah, it's one of the silver linings, I would say to really get present to what's truly important in our lives, whether it be friends or coworkers or loved ones or mentors or mentees, mm -hmm. people that's really important for us. So 
do you do it more in a structural way? Do you say, hey, between this time and this time, I'm going to reach out as a as a discipline, or is it more organic when you feel like it, when you thought of someone, and right away you take action and you call them? Yeah. So I have started to put blocks of time on my calendar to make sure that I'm uh, keeping myself honest. And the first block of time I had before this all happened, it was a, a half hour block for meditation every day at 2 p.m. And that way, if I didn't meditate at 2 p.m., I was consciously choosing not to. And so then that would remind me to maybe catch it the next time around. I've put in blocks of time in the morning, two separate blocks of time, one to wake up and then one to actually connect with people about an hour before the day really begins to just actually set aside some time to be a member of the different communities that I'm a part of or I'm trying to form and carving out that time and defending it and making sure that it is geared towards these kinds of things is essential. So do you have like a, a more structural way? Do you have like an opening question? Is there any things or is it purely organic where you just call them and say, Hey, I was thinking about you and that's that. And then let it flow the way it naturally flows. Yeah. So with the, with the outreaches, it's fortunately really easy right now because you can text somebody out of the blue and just say, how are you doing? <laughs> and the context of everything that we're going through is carried with that. If you were to text somebody, how are you doing out of the blue six months ago, they might get a little defensive or, you know, curious as to, to why it is that, that you're reaching out. So um, it's very simple. That's, that's the ritual. I would say to maybe provide some useful advice beyond the context of what we're in right now, reaching out to people and simply saying, I was just thinking about you and then reference a memory that you have together and then ask, how are you doing? And mm. the nice thing about the memory, even in this time is it gives you a starting point, right? You don't mm. have to talk about maybe some of the challenges that we're all feeling right now. You can talk about one of my friends. I, you know, I keep remembering this time that we spent on Cape Cod together and we decided we wanted to swim across this lake. And mm. I just remember halfway across the lake and feeling too tired and I couldn't go back because we were halfway across. So we just had to keep swimming forward. And the fact that that memory is surfacing for me right now um, mm. is really poignant for what we're going through. And it's mm. also a great excuse to let him know that I'm thinking about that memory that we have together. Mm. In fact, I'm going to do that after this call is I'm going to text that memory to him. Just All right. Amazing. Yeah. So for me, I'm someone who, have the intention to be regularly engaged with all of my people. But I also, for whatever reason, there's a, a pressure in my mind. I have to be profound <laughs> when I reach out to someone. Yeah. It needs to be insightful. It needs to add value, quote unquote, right? So uh -huh. that way, so it's not just some quote unquote trivial, hey, how are you doing kind of a thing. So that's always been like an internal mental block that I have. So I really appreciate the very tactical things that, hey, I was just thinking about this, da da da, how are you? And so forth. Yeah. That was very, very actionable. Thank you. I feel that pressure too, but I have some friends that that keep me honest by, you know, if I were to come in with the 
the weight of trying to be profound with them, they would laugh me out of the Zoom call, you know, because that's not, that's not the identity that is the most active there. Yes, it is a part of it, but the identity that is most active there is how to have fun. And so in that particular group of friends, I mean, we're, we've been putting on happy hour dance parties. We've got a lot of great musicians in that group of friends, a lot of people that can DJ so well. And so we're actually not checking in to talk. We're just checking in to, to have a good time. And, mm-hmm. and that's been a really nice breather, being able to hop between different identities where you can be one person a little bit more in one space and another person a little bit more mm. in another. Mm. I like that. So virtual dance parties. That's, so a lot of people are doing that, by the way. And I've mm-hmm. heard also, so here's some other ideas for people who are looking for what other ways to engage? Because they don't necessarily want to drop in on a very intimate conversation in the way that we're doing right now. Perhaps virtual dance parties, uh, virtual hape. You know, I don't know if you ever had that experience before, but there's that karaoke, sing along, right? Mm-hmm. Yoga, exercising, or sometimes as easy as a virtual office hour. They just have it on, and they would just do the work and just have it be face to face. Not necessarily like a structural conversation, yeah. I think. Any other ideas you come across that was like, oh, yeah, that was really interesting. Yep. Virtual happy hours, virtual karaoke, virtual office hours, just sitting there. I've experienced that. I've been leading with my team weekly kickoff meditation sessions, and that's been really nourishing for me and, and I hope for them because it's a nice way to check in. And we're missing something with physical presence. and being in sync with our breathing, which is a part of a lot of these practices, is a really nice way to feel connected. And I've seen a fascinating evolution in the virtual dance party in the last two weeks. So mm. when quarantine first came into effect, the the DJ live streams were really, everybody else was watching the stream of the DJ or maybe mm-hmm. just doing that music on in the background where they went around their house or whatnot. What started to happen, at least came on my radar last weekend, is dance parties where if you are entering the conference call, you are obligated to have your camera on and you are obligated to be dancing. So it is, and then you have somebody that is sort of playing VJ and jumping between all of the different participants. And there's this sort of digital soul train like effect where when the camera's on them and they know they're big broadcast, they just kind of do whatever it is that's their thing. And for some people it's dancing, for some people it's pouring another shot of tequila, for some people it's just being wacky. And it is so charming. It is so charming to see how other people kind of feel that excitement of being for a moment on broadcast in the middle of a party. Mm. It's different than anything we even had out there in the real world. And I love it, I love it. So in the seminar world, there's a game called follow the leader. Mm-hmm. So essentially you'll have people in at the stage doing whatever dance moves and everyone else who sees it will follow the dance move. So essentially what you share, focusing on that person, but also we can play the game of follow the leader with that same technique as well. That's cool. Right, where yeah. you can focus on, let's say, will and will you do this and everyone else, whoever is following 10, 20, 30, 100, a thousand people could also follow that same move. So that would be a really fun game on top of that. Yeah, love that. Mm, thank you. All right. So that's on more on this personal level. 
and I'll get to heal in, 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 in a moment, but I wanted to talk about community on the business aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I would say now more important than ever is the time we reach out to our top business relationships, advisory relationships, our support network as a way to find more certainty, right? In this time. So as someone who has been in the very beginning of Reddit professionally, this is, this is what you do. What would you say to the, the business owner who all of a sudden their events business is no longer there? What kind of ways or tactical things could they do to reactivate and re-energize their community as well as build perhaps new communities where they're getting into? So there is a crisis that is uniform every time. What's, what's different about pandemic is that that pattern is really drawn out. So, and it's also global. A little bit of a unique regional experience. What's happening in New York is not what's happening in Los Angeles. It's not what's happening in Chicago, Dallas, et cetera. Not what's happening, not what, what's happening in, in France or South Korea, right? But you have the moment that something strikes, that disaster strikes, and that could be a hurricane, that could be an earthquake, that could be some sort of social upheaval. And there are very relatively few businesses or entities that have value that they can add to that moment. And right now we're seeing some businesses like Dyson are manufacturing ventilators. Some businesses like you know, LVMH are creating hand sanitizer. Some are creating N95. So they're able to create some value and add it to the response to the, the situation. They're, they're able to be helpers. Then there is the, the resilience that happens. And that's what's different here in terms of what we're experiencing because the resilience chapter might last as long as a year and a half. We have to be resilient during quarantine. And that's where you're seeing a shift and growth in things like Zoom and Netflix and different gaming platforms and different sort of websites because people are finding ways to be resilient during the ways in which behavior has to shift during this time. And when it comes to being responsible for a community or being responsible for a business, in this particular time, I would really, really recommend looking at that resilience pocket. Because if you have something that you can provide to be one of those helpers, then the chances are you've already begun that initiative. And that is great. Keep doing that. But for the bulk of, of people and businesses, we're now in this resilience period for a few months. And it is really creating a culture in and of itself and it is creating new communities in and of themselves we don't know to what degree what we're experiencing now is going to be the new normal we know that the old normal is not going to be the new normal and so there's so much value in being open and broadly helpful and thinking about creating new practices new rituals new services during this time because then you're leaning into the transformation that is part of the rebirth of what is happening in something like this, rather than the, the collapse of what is being hit by the catastrophe. 
And that's the best way to future proof yourself is to, is to take part. So number one, really being careful not to hold on too strongly to what, what is being affected and, and recognizing that we're going through change. And then paradoxically, number two, recognizing that this resilience period is temporary, that it's not going to last forever, um, but it is going to last a long time. And so there's sort of these kind of like cascading pillars of, of what you can address. You can help and you can have a huge impact or you can create something that's part of the resilience and have an also pretty significant impact or your job now is to wait, wait for the rebuilding when the new normal is established. And the best thing to do then is, is really listen and being somebody that is just present and listening to people in communities even if you're not creating the communities, being present in rituals, even if you're not creating the rituals, just creating space for those who are able to add value is enough. Mm. So let me recap what you're saying. So what you said is don't hold on to the old identities, the old perspectives, the old circumstances, because they are not coming back. They're in the past, right? You know, so at the same time, being open to what is, mm -hmm. and also, what new initiatives others are are starting or holding or adding value and then and then see and then and wait and observe and then at the same time then see where else you can add more values during this during this time of resilience as you call it is that accurate it Recap? is yeah. yep. and i would add to that you know don't over adjust right because there is going to be a moment after this and it's really important to look towards getting there in the most positive healthy kind of way for your yourself as an individual and for the communities that you're a part of is there so so that's a beautiful framework and also mindset are there any tactical actionable tactics a business owner can take on let's say you know let's just use restaurant as an example right that that may or may not apply to whoever's listening to this. That's that's a common one. They're yeah. struggling right now because social distancing. A lot of people are not eating out. A lot of people are not ordering, even though they the offers is there. What could they do to following your framework to to adjust to this new world that we 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 live in? Yeah, complicated for for restaurants. We've seen a lot of restaurants in in my area convert a little bit to almost like grocery stores in terms of, you know, they, it, it's about what they have, what was already flowing through their operation. They had ingredients and were still able to receive these ingredients. How can they dispense those to a community in a way that's helpful? And that's still holding on to the community that's around them. Uh, some restaurants have converted. I mean, they don't have to have the same menu, right? So that's an example of letting something go because your identity as a restaurant might be so married to your menu, but it just doesn't make sense to hold on to that anymore. Others have basically converted to like a Sunday supper model where it's like a pre-fee menu or, you know, $30, $50 a person. And they're able to just hand a bag curbside that somebody can pick up. And it's, it's something that carries the essence, the character of that restaurant so that they can stay connected with what it is that they loved about it. Mm. place and you also have the community of your workers that are probably being put on furlough so some restaurants some businesses some brands have fundraised you know for for them just 
basically going out to their community, their, their email lists that they are, or their social channels that they already have. And just being real about it, just being like, we're, we're shut down and, and, you know, we're doing what we can, but we also care about, you know, the folks that we can't help that are part of our community. So if you would like to make some contributions, we're raising a fund to basically make sure that they can stay healthy and well during this time. And if not that, there's also the sharing of resources as well. Like a restaurant is a community. You have your regulars, you have your, you know, your, your, your people that are, are working behind the bar or at the tables and they all can continue to have a role to play. And if you really, really feel that there is a tight nucleus there, I think it's perfectly appropriate to schedule, explore a Zoom call. If you have a band that is playing every Monday night, explore bringing them on Zoom and just kind of keeping that sense of normalcy for the people because restaurants don't just provide food, they provide culture, they provide community, they provide connection, they provide warmth. And so you can go down to the foundation of who you are and maintain some of that core DNA through the changes. I love that. And let me let me recap a little bit and then you translate in my mind what you yeah. said. <clears throat> If you look at a restaurant, you can really, what you just share is drill into what the currency of the restaurant is. Mm. I think with Starbucks, you said, hey, we want to be the, the third place where people hang out, right? The work, home, and then Starbucks. Mm -hmm. So what you're addressing is the currency is food, yes. And then then branching off of, of that, you can make it in grocery stores, you can make prefix menus. You can make it into a, like a weekly experience kind of a thing with a prefix menu. So, so mm -hmm. definitely you can go that way. But even more fundamentally on an emotional level, a restaurant is a, they call it the watering hole, right? The, the place where people gather kind of like cheers as an example where, you know, you know each other, you're the connection point between your community and whatever service that you provide. You're, you're that gathering space. So if you, as, as you said earlier, if the currency is relationships, uh, a common area where people gather, then there may be other ways like a musical band or whatever as a way to bring people together during this time of uncertainty. Because a restaurant, if you really look at it on a more mechanicalistic point of view, is a stable point. So if you can provide that sense of certainty through your regular Monday night, musical night, open mics or whatever, that could be really valuable during this time, especially. Absolutely. Hmm. Beautiful. Thank you. Anything else you want to say about a business who is reinventing, who is pivoting and leveraging community, their tribes at this time? Well, the real concrete grounded part of this is cash flow, right? Yep. And if, if a, if a business can maintain their cash flow, if they can survive through this time, also while providing some things like that, they will thrive on the other side. So a survival mentality is also okay. For sure. What about tapping into new communities? Let's say, all right, I had to close everything down. Again, use the restaurant example, because of all these issues, I couldn't pay, make my payroll. I couldn't, you know, keep it open still. So restaurant's gone. Now I'm open to any new opportunities. How do I tap into new communities such that I can see where I can be of service from your point of view? 
for this one, I actually want to jump to the example of a yoga studio. Mm-hmm. Because when quarantine went into effect, there was just this kind of gasp. And it was like, what are they going to do? You know, they're, they have to shut down all of their, their classes and their schedule. And within a week, saw all of these Los Angeles yoga studios that I've been a part of step into the opportunity to become a global brand because they can provide their services, their, their, their methods and their teachers on the global stage in a way that they simply were not able to do beforehand and just by leveraging live streaming. So there are opportunities for local businesses to take a quantum leap in their scale if they are prepared to do that. Any tactical ways to think about it? So it's very, it's very different when you're a local brand versus when you're a, a, a national or a global brand. So, you know, I would say you want to look up some brand strategy, basically make sure that you have distinctive assets in terms of what clearly identifies your studio. Make sure that you have a distinctive story, right? Even if you're broadcasting from Los Angeles, why should somebody in Omaha tune into your yoga streams rather than the one that's down the street from them? Of course, they want to support local as well. So what is it that's unique? Um, How can you share in the benefits with, with your teachers, right? You don't want to be leeching off of what the teachers are providing there. There should be a, a symbiotic relationship between what they're doing from their homes. You should be providing them a platform. And actually say more about that. I think that's a really good point, but say a little bit more about that, please. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you look at something like that and the currency is really coming from the teachers. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of studios have a, a set flow that is part of their, their method. And that's really a big part of the brand. And so that's a, that's a place where it's very easy to create that symbiotic relationship because you, you have somebody that is elegantly able to teach something that came from the founder of the studio or what has been kind of the, the curriculum of the studio. But, you know, these are people that are donating their time If you are creating, I've seen some studios basically maintain a MindBody app uh, class purchase pass, and then they they send the links there. I would suggest rethinking the economics on on how that revenue is shared because the hard costs, they actually really fall on the teacher in this case more than they fall on the studio themselves. So they're they're your, your lifeline in this moment. They're the ones that are able to teach classes from their homes you're providing the brand and the platform and the audience. And you really want to make sure that that everybody's taken care of and everybody's invested if you want to grow a global brand. And, and trust that their personality as well is going to add some color to the brand. So long as that brand has a very, very, again, strong foundational DNA, then it can endure some of the recapitulations or recoloring of teachers with personality and that's going to invite more people into it. So they're the, the moment or to where the way to really step into the moment is, is to start thinking like a global brand because you have the opportunity to become that. So there's a lot of resources online, a lot of brand strategy resources, and certainly share some links afterwards because that's, that's great. Let me, let me do a quick recap because this is an important point. Mm-hmm. As we, as all of the products and services goes virtual, 
the individuals instructors now have more power effectively, right? Because mm -hmm. they, they have choice. They don't necessarily have to go through your local yoga studio as an example. They themselves can be a brand. Mm -hmm. So, so that now they have choice. So from, if you're a business owner, think about what is the unique benefits? What is the unique flavor? that your particular business bring to the world because now you're competing with everyone else everyone is a brand right now if they choose to be globally to a, to a global audience <clears throat> so then what is your unique flavor what is your unique story and then what's the unique benefit that you bring and then from that use that as a cure uh curation point so you can select the the instructors that meets your brand flavor and and then so you can serve the audience that you already have and likewise, if you're an individual yoga instructor, then you can pick the right support system, the business that you want to be a part of, and or you want to create your own brand accordingly. And then, and then at the same time, you also want to think about the economics as well, as you said earlier, because now the cost structure really, the, the attraction point as well as the cost structure really lays on the individual instructors. Is that an accurate recap of what you, everything you said? Yeah, the job of the business owner in this context is to make sure that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts and that all relationships are fairly symbiotic. Beautiful. So what so how do I identify an audience that I may potentially serve or not serve? Let's say I'm totally new again, right? Like bring back to the restaurant thing. Let's that's that goes away. I'm now open game, giving my unique capabilities, resources, connections. How do I find an audience I can potentially serve? Mm, that's a really good question. I mean, you are certainly in better position if you already have a community going into this. It's an opportunity to build new communities, but if you had a, a, a restaurant that was that was running nicely, you know, up to this point, hopefully you have an email list, you have some social you know, following, and that's that's the place to start and create some regularity, help them, again, fill that gap in terms of routine and comfort of the watering hole. But then in order to feed people back into your community, especially digitally, you've got to go out into other communities and represent yourself, represent that brand, represent that business. So, you know, for, for the chefs behind the kitchen, I mean, there's certainly a lot of opportunity to share some of their knowledge in terms of how, how to cook for yourself during this time, how to, how to maintain a kitchen. And that might be something that would better serve your needs as an offering that you're bringing to other communities. So you come in, you tell your story, you share your expertise, you add value to it. And then those from that community that want to stick with you, you can invite them back into the digital community space that you've created. Mm, I love that. I think, I'll speak personally. I also use use what we're doing here as an example. So personally, I'm trained, academically trained as an expert. So when you are an expert in your mind, you're trained to see, I must have the answers. Let me build my own platform. Let me do it myself, right? But the shortcut is actually going on other people's platform and demonstrate your expertise, your, your resources, such that you can leapfrog from other people's existing listening an audience that they already have case in point i invited you to join us then you can leave up on existing audience to to do something similar is that an accurate re, uh, recap of what you just talked about that's exactly right 
Yep. It's all about in this time, discovering your DNA and sharing it. How do you identify the key influencers that what's your philosophy in terms of identifying, you know, who to go on to in terms of podcasts, in terms of books, in terms of shows, in terms of influencers, in terms of, in terms of joint ventures, do you have a framework to kind of think about that in a more strategic way? In terms of which ones I would identify for trying to build a community. Yeah. The influencers that you want to have a relationship and say, Hey, so-and-so I would love to share my story, my, my offering, my expertise on your platform. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I start by, so you know, there's a community, there are a couple of communities that I'm, I've been forming during this time, Heal being one of them. But the first time that I outreach to anybody, I can actually think of an example of a, a yoga teacher who I discovered had never really accessed him before. And he was teaching a yin class and he had this particular way of communicating as we go into the different asanas, the different postures to, to basically say, just sort of go into the story, then release the story and retrieve the lesson. And I thought that was so beautiful, the way that he phrased that during uh, the class. And so I, I found him, found him on social media. And I said, I love the way that you phrase this. Do you have any blog posts or videos about this? I would love to bring this to a community that I've formed heal where language is one of the pillars of it. And to be able to say, Hey, look at how this person is talking about their practice would really be valuable to that community. And so that's just an example of something very recent. I don't know how that's going to net out, but as with anything, you know, you're, you're providing a value exchange. And if you want to find entree into another community, the, the first thing you should do is bring value yourself. And so I think the invitation should always go both ways as well. I would love to share something with you. If you want to share that with your community, if you have something you would like to share with mine, I would love that as well. I see. So the way that the, the simplest way to start off building any kind of community is curation. Again, similar to what we're doing right now, I can just easily share your expertise through a blog post, share a social media share. That's mm -hmm. already a very, very basic value add. And then have you uh, be on my show as an example, as a way to really pull out the best out of you. So then we can share more publicly what, what you have to offer with others. Beautiful. Yeah. I will add to that, you know, that mm -hmm. you, you inevitably, when you're creating community, you have to start with creation before mm -hmm. you get curation. And it can be frustrating to feel like you're just talking into a void. <laughs> and especially if you are, but when you're creating a, a, a trail of content, you're helping to define what the community is to you as a yeah. founder of that community. And the hope is that that community will grow and the content that you've created helps tell people what it means. And then they will start to bring their own interpretation and start to stretch the boundaries of what this community is. And then your job becomes to curating the contributions mm -hmm. of more than it becomes creating it yourself. I see. So from your point of view, curation first, let me, and then curation, then you can curate based on 
your own voice or your own signature afterwards. That's what you're yep. saying. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. Beautiful. So thank you. Appreciate that. I think it would be worthwhile to dive in deeper into the internal game as well as the external game, because primarily so far we spent about 40 minutes on the external. Yeah. So I love to segue into the internal because it, as we, as human beings, we create something new, inevitably there's internal resistance, especially when there is, it's, it's something that's new that's outside of our comfort zone. So, and I think that's a good segue into heal, perhaps mm -hmm. what you're creating here. Can you tell us a little bit about ways that you have come across to overcome the internal resistance as you're creating new organizations, new movements? Hmm. Internal resistance in terms of my internal experience as I go through these transformations. Or or something that you have seen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Habits are tough to break. Mm -hmm. And realizing the habits that are there in the first place is also tough to do. So the disruption of something like quarantine is one that helps with that process. I think when people go through any life transformation, they change cities, they change relationships, they change jobs. A lot of these things can be revealed and that unlocks this internal process of of rethinking what invisible barriers you had been putting there for yourself in the first place for whatever reason. To be, to be very, very anecdotal, this is actually the value that I get from using tarot cards. Oh, and, say more about that. Interesting. Yeah, rising, right? It is a deck of cards that is full of different meanings and you lay them out on a table in a way that your mind is responsible for constructing a story. Mm -hmm. And so because of that practice, you can see the reflection of your subconscious mind in your interpretation of those cards. So it's like looking in the mirror and brushing your teeth. It's kind of spiritual hygiene, mental hygiene in a way. And Actually, go back, you, you lost me in the last two sentences. Say that again, please. It's, it's like mental and spiritual hygiene. Okay. Because you are putting something that is a random pattern in front of you and seeing how your mind and your spirit try to make sense of it. Mm. And I, I lean on that actually as a practice to ask about certain situations. Should I do this? Should I not do it? Um, what is behind this circumstance that I'm entering? These are all very typical questions related to some of these spreads. And oftentimes a card will be flipped in that spread or a story will reveal in that spread that will, because of chance or because of, you know, some synchronicity, I'll be confronted with a version of the story that I'm not comfortable with. And it'll say, well, you're feeling this way because you're selfish because you're really focused on your, your, your own material benefit. There are cards for that, that tell you that. And mm. when that pops up in a spread, you, you can't blame anybody. <laughs> it's just there. And so mm. you end up just having to work through this invitation to think about things from a completely different perspective because it's come to you randomized. I see. So let me recap what you're saying. So you use tarot cards 
as a way to artificially create a story that's laid out for you. Hey, you're this, this happens because of this. And then, then in your mind, you, you have to reconcile the possibility of that and then use that as a way to deal with your own internal limiting beliefs or possible uh, judgment against yourself. Is that an accurate way to recap what you said? It is. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, figuratively speaking, it's, it's almost like giving yourself the opportunity to take your subconscious self out from inside, have them sit across the table from you and play them in a game of cards. Mm, mm, interesting. Yeah. It's very similar to the way uh, psychedelics could be used as a way to, to basically try on different perspective, not as the truth, but also just a, as a, as a different points of view, like, Oh yeah, here is a possible point of view. Here's an emotional experience. Try this on. And then, and then, then afterwards you can choose, Hey, was that an accurate way? Uh, was that an empowering way to, to look at the world? Or is that a disempowering way to look at the world? And if so, what do you want to do about it after the experience is over? Very well put. Beautiful. So do you want to talk a little bit more about the heel movement, how you came about starting that in the first place? Yeah, yeah I think, you, mm -hmm. I think the, the manner in which I, I use tarot cards is a great entry point into the purpose of heal because it's very important to notice that I'm not asking the question of is the mythology of tarot real? I'm only asking if it's useful and finding mm -hmm. ways for it to be useful. And so I would classify tarot as language. It is mm -hmm. a system of encoded meanings that can convey story to help one make sense of their circumstances within and without them in the way that you and I just described. I would put things like astrology in that same bucket. I would put our language, the way we speak English, the, the meaning behind Hebrew letters and Sanskrit mantras in that same category. Um, I put the way that we interface with animals, our dogs, the way that they gesture and you know, communicate is its own language. The way that you know, plants communicate on a microbial level, level is also rich with lessons. That so, quick pause, by the way. <clears throat> So ideally you want to use that as a frame, not yes. the truth, but as a frame, right? But at the same time, our egoic mind, our brain is meaning making machines. How do we try, how do we maintain that neutrality that this is a frame, this is not the truth, you know what I mean? So it's very yeah. easy to get into now becoming superstitious. So for mm -hmm. example, so for example, money is a construct, is made up. Right. But now it's very real because that's how we transact between, you know, products and services. So, so anyways, so my point is how do you maintain that frame of neutrality that this is just a construct? This is not the truth. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would also invite somebody to consider money as a language and mm -hmm. I can expand more on that. But the, the, the pillars of heal are H E A L healing, environment, art, and language. And the intention of it, as we talked about in the beginning, is to bring balance, uh, to bring balance into the world from a belief that I will state, which is that we have been out of balance and that we have been 
too cerebral, too stuck in our yang mentality, who focused on the objective, not focused on our hearts, not focused on the yin, not focused on the subjective. And so the intention of heal is for it to be a complement to STEM, which we already have, which is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And it is not casting it aside, it's quite the opposite, but it's creating these separate swim lanes to basically take a look at something when it comes into your review and say, is this science backed or is this belief backed? And then have a place for them to live because what I've found is that when something is belief backed and it is then cast aside without a home, it tries to find its way into the world of STEM and objectivity where it creates pseudoscience and it creates woo and it creates anger and it creates arguments and it creates discord. Providing Wait, okay, back up one sentence, one more time. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, which part? One sentence, you, you said when, when something that's out, so actually just repeat what you just said yeah. a sentence or two ago. When we're presented with information that is belief backed, mm -hmm. it doesn't really have a home right now. And so you see a lot of different attempts for belief backed information to be brought into science backed places. And that creates mm -hmm. or, and it creates anger and it creates separation subjectivity does have its own kind of different validity but it needs to be called what it is which is subjectivity and so somebody's beliefs can really help them maintain their health and wellness but in a very very different way from medical treatment and the mm. two should not be conflated and you see a lot of conflict when they are conflated so when you try to ascribe objective meaning to something that is subjective, then you, you get pseudoscience, you get woo. When you try to ascribe objective meaning to something that is purely subjective and could never really be understood, then you get reductionism, you get nihilism, you get pessimism. And so the intention of the framework of HEAL is to create that complementary space where we can look at something like the tarot and say, this is a language, and the value in it comes from the subjective experience of it, not objectively asking, are there spirits on the other side that are moving the cards and manipulating them? Mm -hmm. um, that's not a useful question to ask. I see. So, so HEAL stands for Healing, Environment, Art, and Language. Language, yep. So healing mm -hmm. is your internal experience. What are you doing for yourself to make sure that you are well? This could be you know, some areas in terms of what are you eating? How are you moving? Um, how are you thinking? How are you feeling? Environment is what are the spaces around you? What are the communities that you're a part of? And, and how are they, you know, connecting you to the, the, the most aligned experience that you could have for your healing? And then art is, you know, there are pieces of, of visual art and music that need no translation. It's they in and of themselves express what somebody is going through. We've seen the great influx of art being created right now by people in quarantine that are trying to express loneliness and boredom and anxiety. And that doesn't need to be analyzed in an objective way. That's a subjective work. And when you look at something or you listen to something 
and you can feel what the creator felt, there's tremendous value in that alone. And so just looking at it from that frame. And language is, is self-explanatory. So let me ask you this. With STEM, with something that's external, it's easy to point to and say, here's what I've created, here's, here's X, Y, and Z, because it's there, right? With something that's heal, subject, it's very subjective. And it's on the outside, it looks exactly like, I have no idea how it will, well, I have, I have some idea based on your facial expression, but, but I have no, I don't know exactly what's going on in the internal. So do you have a way to help people who are listening to this gauge what's happening on the internal level to really refine that fidelity, that resolution on the internal level? Yeah, that's a great question because that's really the kind of charge that's at the center of this is that I think it's very easy for us to, when leaning too much on objective facts, to absolve ourselves from the responsibility of experiencing things on our own. And that's where language really comes in because maybe not necessarily get to another person's subjective experience, but language is created as people try to do a map or a blueprint in terms of how to navigate yours. Oh, that thing, that's called, that's called fear, what is happening in you. But where does it live in your body? Is it in your, is it in your adrenal glands or is it in your solar plexus? Is it in your throat, right? And there's a whole index of colors and emotions that you can look up to help you navigate you know, what other people have found, but ultimately what you have to do is you have to go within and open yourself up to the phenomenology of your experience and feel where things live in your body and how they manifest out into the way that you act and how they come back to you in the way that people respond to how you act. And that's when meditation as a practice can be very helpful because you start to really understand what is yours. And when you understand what is yours in your inner world, you can start to better recognize what is somebody else's when it starts to come to you and imprint off of you. And you can begin to look at the world as a bit of a mirror for your own subjective experience to help make a little bit more, more sense of it. But you have to take the responsibility to show up to the mat, as they say, and, and go in and say, I am not going to rely on other people's reports. I am going to dive in myself and see what's real for me. Do you have any, so two, two things comes to mind. One is my experience with Vipassana. I don't know if you've ever done Vipassana before, where it's a 10 day silent meditation retreat. And the whole idea of it is to learn the mechanics of how Gautama the Buddha achieve enlightenment. And the way they, they do that is by really focusing to develop the awareness of our internal reality, what's happening, the, this physical sensations, what's happening within the body. And the interesting journey that I took on is the first three days, we just focus on this little area for just this little area for three days. And it was excruciating. It was, it was yeah, psychologically excruciating. <laughs> But after a while, I start to really feel uh, a higher awareness, the resolution of what's happening in my, the surface area of my body as well as the internal area of my body. And I was very impressed and surprised, and surprised by the end of my 10-day experience. 
Hmm. Have you done Vipassana yet? I have not. Yeah, no, you'll love it. Yeah, you'll love it. Myself, the closest I've been to it is is my father. He was a he did a few. He was a, a Renzai Zen Buddhist priest. And when I was at music school, he would have me and my friends come at the end of their vipassanas and uh, play some music to pull people out of the uh, the space that they were in and bring them back to where the the rest of us were were hanging out um, in our mm. mindsets through music. Mm, beautiful. So the second, so so the, so I highly recommend. By the way, I think you'll love it, especially given this conversation. Yeah. The second thing I wanted to ask you is, do you have like a map of emotions? Because, and I say that because, very similar to painters with their palette, I think the skill set of a painter is the ability to mix different colors to get it exactly the kind of colors they want and put in the, on their canvas. Yeah. And similarly, when we have language to describe exactly where it is, how it is, the the emotions I feel, statistics mixed with that, in a precise way, and then now we have much better articulate, better ability to articulate what's going on internally. However, as a as a as a as an engineer, <laughs> my colors were very very limited. So. I wish that I would have a map, a better way to articulate different emotions I was feeling. Because in the very beginning of my journey, I was either happy or angry. That that was those were the two emotions that I had, you know, early in my journey. So in, in training people to feel more, do you have any resources I can point them to and say, "Hey, here's the range of emotions, map." And as you feel particular ways, you can point to how you're feeling, anything like that? Yeah, such an interesting question that you're asking. And it's well-timed. Last night, my my wife and my sister, we were just sitting with each other. And we asked each other the question, what is an emotion that you've experienced in this time that you haven't before? <laughs> and good question. I like it. It was so good. It was so good. And so we, you know, really had to to search for some of these experiences that we've had and not bury them, right? This was kind of going back into recent memory and saying, "Oh, that thing that I felt that was that was really important, that new." And, and without this question, we didn't really have the invitations to mine those memories for for that data. And you know, for me, I, there was there was a it was about the the combination of two familiar words to create a different color. So I had lonely fear was something that I felt, and that was a different, you know, sort of color. Like synesthetically, I would I would think of it as a deep blue. So, but that's that's a little bit of a, a non sequitur. There are a lot of resources that are out there. I am so the most reliable tool kit that I've found is is actually. It's, it is the chakra system, the seven points of awareness on the body overlaid with four different ethereal bodies, your mental body, your emotional body, your physical body, and your spiritual body. Um, so that's seven times four, basically different points at which you can localize what you're feeling. What I like about it is that it's before words. It's more of a, a coordinates kind of representation of emotions. So being able to ask, where is this feeling arise? Am I feeling something in my heart or am I feeling it in my forehead? Am I feeling it in my root? And mm -hmm. then 
does it feel like it is in my physical body or is it something that's a little bit more subtle? Is it in my emotional body or my mental body or my spiritual body? Mm. That's a, become a part of my practice to check in with all of those different places on that grid so that when something arises, I can, I can kind of clock it there and not say, is that fear? Is that loneliness? But just say, oh, that's interesting. Because there's also story embedded in those coordinates. And sometimes like a flash of an image might come up or a memory. And I'll be able to go right to the source of where it's coming from without even having to play with the naming on the surface. Wait, wait, you lost me in the last sentence. Say that again. I didn't understand what you just said. Say so that again. if I'm having an experience that is in my, in my throat, for example, I might bring my focus there and certain memories or thoughts or images will flash. And I'm able to go directly to the work of unraveling the bound feelings that are in there without having to really even unless I want to bother with naming the emotions on the surface. I can just go right into the, the pure experience of them and what is being called up for healing. I see. Do that work. I see. So let me recap. <clears throat> so as you're going through your internal map, seven chakras, four bodies, you're scanning for certain things. So if a image or a thought, a feelings, emotions, or um sensation shows up you can go right into it and feel it fully rather than trying to rationalize is that what you meant yeah yeah okay. i try I, it's i really try not to rationalize and i i think that this is this is a belief that is being studied by a few people right now that are far more capable of getting objective answers than i can but the heart has an intelligence to it and my belief is that there are, our emotions are indexed in our heart and that the rhythm of its beating changes the state of the body and is sent up to the brain that tries to make a story out of it with memories or with ideas. I try to bypass that and I try to just work with what I'm feeling here in the heart because why, why bother with the extra steps if you can avoid it, right? So I try, I try not not to ask the question of what emotion is this sometimes, but just, just find a way to go directly to it is, is really the, the answer I'm giving you here is I'm, I'm very obtusely dodging the question. <laughs> no, no, not at all, actually. So I'll share my personal experience. In, trained as an engineer. Yeah. Um, very good at storytelling and I call it logic, right? And then trying to rationalize through science and logic or, you know, anecdotal uh, stories. And I realized at some point, so very much a cognitive behavior therapy type of a, a approach, trying to get to the source of, you know, this happened because, you know, as a child, this ha other thing happened, right? As a way to rationalize connecting the dot. Then the more I study, the more I realize this is another frame. Our consciousness is made out of four components, image, thoughts, feelings, emotions, and body sensations. Hmm. Rather than trying to rationalize through the mind, just go back to experience whatever that, that is and experience all four components fully as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And once you duplicate that past experience, that trauma, it actually goes away altogether. Very similar to how when we have a, a loop in our mind that we, we just 
the mind is trying to complete the loop altogether. Let's use uh, music as an example. There's certain songs, certain phrase in your mind, and your mind just goes crazy trying to close the loop and keep going. A really good way to stop the song playing in your head is to listen to that song from beginning to end, because now the mind actually closed that loop and it just goes away. Similarly to the emotions or the sensations that we have, the psychotraumatic, the the yeah, the psychosomatic rather mm -hmm. things that we feel. If we can complete the loop, then it goes away altogether. That's my experience. So that's my experiential truth, not necessarily a logical truth. Yeah, yeah. And then I mean that's that's beautiful, and 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 that could could manifest into different therapies that undergo study that then becomes object of knowledge that goes over to the other side where it's something that can be be shared for people. Beautiful. So in terms of heal, I think this now the time to really share more broadly to others because this pandemic, social distancing, staying at home is applying a lot of stress yeah. to the mind or yeah. to the body or to the emotions or to right the, the, the four bodies that you mentioned or to the spirit yeah so what are your plans to to do to share more broadly to someone who is listening for this and they're experiencing a lot of stress yeah i mean having an invitation to speak about this i'm so grateful for that thank you for for providing that i i think the the opening of the door the gateway into heal that's so important right now is recognizing that what is happening to all of us is happening on two levels. There's the level of the pandemic and there's the level of the panic. So they're staying safe and they're staying sane, right? And I, as much as I would like to, I'm not qualified to add value to the pandemic. I am not a doctor. I am not an epidemiologist. And I think a lot of us really feel a temptation to be armchair scientists all the time. And we just can't, we just can't. And so finding a way to address where we can have value, I think is essential right now. And where we can add value is how we stay sane, how we think about the panic that we're all feeling. And so heal is, the best contribution I can make as a, a rubric or as a frame to help with that process because we are receiving a lot of information right now from people that are and are not qualified to present it. We are receiving a lot of data and what HEAL does is it asks, am, is what I am doing with this data healing or not? And you Wait, can start to look is at- what I'm presenting here healing or not is that what you said is is what i am doing with the information i'm presented with healing or not i see i see mm. so you look at something like quarantine and this could be a prison or it could be a chrysalis and choosing that is a function of heal and so Heal lives in a few different places. There is uh, a community that is active on Slack. There is a community on Reddit. I think the easiest way to find it is in the Reddit community. 
r slash heal movement h-e-a-l-m-o-v-e-m-e-n-t and that's where a lot of the the content lives so that's where i'm currently making that shift from creator to curator where a lot of the stuff that i've dropped in there has been really kind of carving out here's what healing is here's what art is here's what language is here's what environment is but now we've got quite a few other people that are sharing articles that are like the air has never been better in los angeles environment or here's a beautiful sketch somebody did of their feeling of boredom art here is a, a yoga practice that's being streamed that i that i loved that's healing and you know language of course a lot of different discussion around different words that are useful for people you know words like ananda words like shiva and shakti and you know all of the different sort of truths that are minds by exploring those different things so that all lives there and i would invite people to to jump into that that subreddit to take a look at uh first glance and see if it's something that helps them heal thank you for sharing that so as a follow-up i one thing i forgot to ask you what is the transition point between creator and curator is there is there a very easy indicators that when a community say, becomes, yeah when a community becomes self-sustaining so, so okay. yeah so when you can actually if you're you're basically you're trying to move a wheel <laughs> and when you can stop pushing on that wheel and it keeps spinning on its own mm -hmm. that's, that's when when you can shift a curator that's not going to happen as a sudden moment it's going to be i have to for the heel movement subreddit for example it's day one so i need to put 25 different posts in here make sure that it's full of something so that anybody that finds it knows what we're talking about then it goes to all right maybe once a day and then it goes to once a week and then it goes to once a month. So as your contributions can slow down for it to sustain itself or grow itself because other people are making contributions, then you're moving in that direction. I wish that that was a steady climb, but there are peaks and there are valleys. It is a, it is a winding journey for any community to achieve its growth. So the most important thing, and I can, expand on this you know for a moment is acknowledging the importance of your founding members because these are people that cared enough to join with you in a community effort early on and they should feel some value and some equity for that either by being named as a founder being recognized as a founder there are a lot of different systems that you can have in different platforms or different places to give people a badge or some sort of you know, equity in the community, almost in literal terms, and inspire them to invite others and, and make it something that similar to how we described in the symbiotic relationship between yoga studios and their teachers, make it a platform that's good for them, that they're going to be eager to invite others in because it's something that is providing one of their needs. And mm. that is a different kind of member of your community than those that are going to come afterwards. You're going to have people that are going to come just to listen and just to be a, a participant, a passive participant, but you need those very engaged, active founding participants first and foremost. Do you have a rubric in terms of how to go about doing it? And I asked that question because I would say a lot of communities have a lot of passive observers. Yeah. And as community builders, 
we would then ask them to say, hey, engage, participate, then be an evangelist, be a champion, invite others, and so on and so forth. But it's still very challenging, right? Where do you, there's like a million different things that you could do to try to energize and activate the community. So sure. how do you prioritize all of that, right? So yeah. how do you have a way to kind of think about it? Yep. So you want to create a lot of different entry points. So be cognizant of, you know, some people are going to come in through one channel. And if that's the only channel that you're giving them, you're not going to see a lot of growth. So just create a lot of different entry points. Then once in there, you know, you can work with a rubric of three R's, recognize, reward, and release. So recognize when somebody is making a contribution, celebrate it. Give them, give them something, you know, just thank them for that effort. Oh, so sorry, that's, that's reward. But recognition is calling them what they are, which is a founder. And then release is allow them to interpret the community on their own terms. You got to let go of some control. Hmm, that's challenging. <laughs> how do you, how do you, how do you, because as a steward of the community, you have certain principles. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, you also want to give them room for interpretation. So have liberty to, you know, so how do you, how do you do that? How do you gauge that? Cause that's with challenging a, what you just said. Uh, simple. Yeah. With a, with a fourth R, which is rules. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is the rules that give a uh, community definition rules define what a community is and is not it defines what is and is not allowed uh, inside of that community. And rules can be really, really fun. They don't mm -hmm. have serious they can say you know you're not allowed to use the word the in this community good luck mm -hmm. <laughs> right mm -hmm. um that, that provides play right so mm -hmm. uh, when you're in that curating mode you really start to rely on rules more than anything because that's mm -hmm. your um, that's your system of of being able to define what the nature of your curation is mm -hmm. i would also add to what you're saying too is Ultimately, all of this frameworks is a framework, it's a guideline, and the community will evolve accordingly. And if we try to hold, going back to the very, very beginning of what we were talking about with the pandemic, is that the old will always shift, and there's the law of impermanence. So how do we maintain, how do we let go of the old, being open to new possibilities, and embrace the new? I think that's a ever, it's a yin yang, right? All over again, all over again. Yeah. Beautiful, my friend. So we cover a lot of areas. We talked about pivoting a restaurant business as an example, right? <laughs> we, we talked about building a global brand, right? Mm -hmm. Now that we don't have the physical environment limitation anymore, mm -hmm. we had talked about, what else did we talk about? We talked about heal. Mm -hmm the different emotionality, why you started it, and the, the rubric of which one can identify one's own subjective experience in partnership, in complement with STEM, right? Mm -hmm. We have also talked about some framework rubric around building communities, the four R's, <laughs> right? I can't remember. So it was reward and... Reward, recognize, recognize, and rules. And rules, yeah. Beautiful, thank you. So for everything that we had talked about, mm -hmm. if people who's 
listening to this, what's one thing that they could start in thinking, building communities or healing? What's one thing that they can take away that they can take action on from this uh, conversation? Well, I would start at the the end of our, our four R's exercise here and start to play with some rules. So those can be rules for yourself or they can be rules for an event that you want to create. We talked briefly about the dance parties that are happening. That's there's right. A, we did. There's a rule in those dance parties that says if you are going to be in this, you have to have your camera on and you have to dance. So with the space that people have to think about what they want, mm -hmm. I think with with some rules for themselves is a really really nice starting point mm, beautiful confucius said self mastery self mastery family country and then world from mm -hmm. my point of view if we don't have self mastery don't have the rules that's help it, helping us ground ourselves center ourselves especially during this time you can have all the aspiration in the world to make a difference a huge impact but then you're not grounded from that space. So thank you for bringing that back to that. Yeah. For people who are interested, again, in everything that you do, what's the social link that we can send them to? Yeah, I'm at W-I-L-L-C-A-D-Y. And that's on Instagram, that's on Medium, that's on Twitter, that's on LinkedIn. Those are the places that I'm most active. Mm, beautiful. Thank you so much for being on the show, Will. Really appreciate yeah. being here. Thank you for for having me. And you have so beautifully recapitulated the ramblings of, of my experience. And I think that that is a perfect example of, you know, here we have an artist and an engineer. And that's the magic that you get when you have a balance between those two types of thinking. Yes, indeed. All right, my friend. Have a beautiful rest of the day.